0: Welcome back, listeners, to this week's episode of If I Only Knew. I'm joined by co-star extraordinaire, young Matt.
1: How are you, Matt? I'm doing great, Fred. Always excited to hear how you introduce me every week. Something new, something great. Thanks very much.
0: Matt, I I go to great lengths to to tell everybody about how wonderful and remarkable you are, which you then confirm by editing me out of most of our podcasts. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Matt, this week I'm really fascinated. The old Netflix has dropped another thought bomb for us called the Tinder Swindler, Mm. okay? If you're going to be some sort of uh, socially unacceptable psychopath, come up with a cool, catchy name, Tinder Swindler. But it brings to light this idea of catfishing. Now, the concept of catfishing or online scams or online scams focused at lonely people looking for romance has been in the news a lot lately because of the tinder swindler, but also the fact that the Australian federal government has suggested that we're losing $18 billion a year or thereabouts to these sorts of scams.
1: Mm.
0: What I find really fascinating and interesting is when the internet was young, I can see how this stuff would happen, but given your generation are all basically the Scooby gang when it comes to social media and stuff, <laughs> is catfishing still an issue? So. I just thought I'd pick your brains on this thing. Luckily for me, I can see we're on video, so I know you are who you say you are and not somebody pretending to be you. Mm. But tell me, catfishing, Matt, is that so 1999 or is it still happening?
1: Yeah, look, Fred, I'm not an expert on catfishing. I can't say I'm a catfisher or a catfish myself. I've never been been roped into anything quite like that, I don't think. But, uh, you know, it's a worthwhile topic because it must happen to a lot of people. Kind of as you say, we've got this cultural interest with Netflix, have got some governmental economic interest like it's definitely still a big deal i think that like there's a few points on on that that you just raised one of them being like how relevant is this still in the modern age and to young people i wonder if it's not happening so much to younger people i'm sure it does happen to young people on the internet still for a variety of reasons that we might get into but you know i have a sense that the the primary target for these people you know on the internet or even just you know over the phone or whatever are older people who might be a bit more lonely or whatever maybe in their 30s 40s or 50s and so i do wonder if you know our more internet skeptical maybe internet trained younger generations are a bit less likely to get roped in by uh, by these scams because you know they're just trying to not be as involved in it as uh, maybe older people who have their guard down a bit, you know, who might be in quite vulnerable situations. And so the internet still provides that risky opening for them. Because, you know, it seems like an older person thing when I think of catfishing. I think of lonely old people getting getting caught by scams. Is that is that how you think of it? Look, I, I
0: certainly think when we talk about scams in general, I think older Australians are vulnerable. When we're talking about catfishing, though, it's something that you said before we started catfishing sort of is this concept of from mild to wild people curating who they are online to gain advantage and something you said which I thought was really really insightful is to a certain extent in online and real life people do curate who they are so I guess the issue is do you think young people are any more immune to the idea of trying to connect with people and people falsely representing who they are it might be that they lie a little bit about their height Mm. or their age, mm. or right. where they live, or how they live. Do you think that catfishing is a little bit more about people taking advantage of others through the aspirations that others have? You know, we, we gravitate towards rich people because we want to be rich. We gravitate towards romance because we want to be loved. And if that's the case, I don't think anybody's immune. I'm just
1: Mm -hmm. going to put that out there. I like that way of kind of formulating what catfishing might actually be. Like when I think of catfishing, you know, you've got this Tinder swindler kind of documentary that sparked this, where it's uh, very much about this romance of someone being taken advantage of and having their money taken from or whatever. And to me, that's, you know, quintessential catfishing. That's what you think of when you hear that word. But... I do reckon, you know, I know that everyone curates their appearance and the way people see them all the time, you know, and the internet is a great place for that. And young people are absolutely susceptible to that kind of curation, I think. You know, you only ever see the best parts of someone's life on Instagram. So the internet's definitely a space for that kind of more maybe... Um, subtle or general kind of curation, rather than the more maybe targeted curation that's built to exploit an individual or take advantage of someone's aspirations, as you say. But I do wonder if you know we even do this in real life. I, I think it's a something that I try to keep in the back of my mind whenever I'm spending time with people or whatever. Is like, how are we all trying to present the very best of ourselves? To other people in person because you know we do we're, we've all got you know ups and downs nobody's perfect but when you're spending time with people you're trying to be the best person you can be most of the time and so I feel like there's this sense of, if not if not authenticity, because I don't think it's fair to call that in authenticity, but at least curation to say I'm going to show you some part of me because that's what we're doing right now and uh, I think that doesn't have to be a bad thing But the example of catfishing and the way the internet opens people up to that exploitation is a more kind of targeted version of that, that I think is interesting. And to me, at least, feels old, but perhaps not.
0: It's interesting that you say that because I think what we're talking about is this tipping point between curating who we are to others and then taking that same science, if you like, adding, you know, um, sinister intent and trying to prey on others. And I think that's where catfishing really comes in. And something that you talked about there was a string of women with the tinder swindler who found themselves falling in love with somebody who curated the perception of a wealthy life. Mm, mm. And because of that and because of the perception that money was no real obstacle to this person, people started to believe really implausible things like, hey, I'm waiting for a cash transfer of XB and if you could just give me 20K to cover uh, two weeks of uh, an interest payment, then I can give you X, Y, Z back. And the capacity to fall in love with that person allow them to suspend disbelief. There's a psychological concept that we're talking about here which is called fundamental attribution error, okay? So we have a capacity with, through our biases to take some information and use it to extrapolate out other information. Right. So it's the idea that I know you, you're a fairly honest guy. You'd be the perfect person to scam me, Matt, because my fundamental attribution error is that you're honest, you're trustworthy, you're from a good family, and you could use that if you wanted to, to really start to, with evil intent and all the rest of it, you'd be a great catfisher. You know, you've <laughs> got all the basics to start <laughs> Right, with, right, you know? yeah. So, I think it's really interesting that from a catfishing perspective, the one thing I think everybody says, and I don't know if this is your experience, is how do people let it get so bad? Mm, right, yeah. You know? But it's not bad if you're in the framework where you believe the person is who they say they are and they're giving you enough signs to suggest that, you know what, let's be upfront about this. I'm the good person. I'm the man of your dreams. I have a question for you, though. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you think men are more susceptible to being manipulated online than women? Oh. There's all these big stories you hear matter about some poor lonely widow and some Lothario from Namibia who scams her out of Bitcoin Mm. from Melbourne. And it's like, hang on a minute, does this happen to guys too, but they just don't tell anybody? I mean
1: see i find that to be a really interesting way to frame catfishing for it because in my head i've got a completely different way to think about this because i reckon i imagine the more like lonely 50 year old 40 year old man who who maybe has been divorced or has never had a a long-term partner or something like that and they get drawn in by maybe the the person pretending to be a seductive i don't know foreign woman who's who's looking for a way into australia and so I definitely think it spans across different genders, really, Fred. Um, I was kind of going to think, say that maybe this is even more of a, a problem for men rather than women because I might think that as men get older, they have fewer social uh, supports and social structures that help them deal with this kind of thing, whereas perhaps traditionally women might have more social supports and social structures in the communities that perhaps they build and maintain.
0: I, I see your point with that, and I, I, I don't dispute it at all. I think we can agree that anybody young or old is vulnerable I guess the difference between in my thinking I don't have any stats to back this up although we have excellent research for this episode from the delightful Nicola in uh, R&D always doing a great job for us the issue that I have is that I believe men are generally more prone to action than they are to prone to online interaction and I could be wrong about this, and I know the pandemic's certainly a, a factor. Right. But if somebody said, "Hi, my name's Olga, I'm from uh, Belarus, and I'm looking for a way to get into Australia, and I'm six foot two, blonde hair, blue eyed," and what do you reckon? I think most men have booked themselves a flight at some point.
1: Right, right, okay,
0: okay, or book a flight here, so they that might cut to the chase a little bit more. Whereas I think that the ones that I've heard about that I find really shocking are women that are engaged in what they believe to be a real relationship with someone they've never met and they continue to pay through the nose, often giving money that they don't have to an individual where I personally wouldn't ever let something get that far. With that said, I don't think you're wrong, Matt. I think one of the issues we have with men, which is statistically significant, is the concept of underreporting. So I have a question for you. If you got catfished, would you tell anybody?
1: It depended how embarrassed I was about it, Fred, and if it was a serious one, I definitely wouldn't tell someone. You know, it was just if I've been, like, let on for a bit or whatever, it's turned out badly or it turned into a funny story or something, I'd totally share that. But only if, I think that's interesting, only if I can spin it in a way that feels like it's a good kind of social thing. You know, if I can share it with someone and make it a funny story that we all laugh about or whatever and has a positive social effect, I would share it. But if I felt like I came out looking really stupid or if I felt like I was in a really bad light because of this situation or whatever, I probably wouldn't share it, no.
0: Psychologically, one of the things we understand about um, catfishers, the perpetrators, is they're as wounded and broken as the people that they seek out. Right. Often it is um, the disorders that allow people to either suspend reality or to put fairly malevolous intent forward with a justification. Uh, And it's for that reason the research suggests that not the extreme catfishing, not the put a million dollars in my bank account because I love you and I need a visa to get there, but the more consistent kind of catfishing, which is this alternate personality online, a second account that links to your friends that's not you, um, photos picked up and taken from other accounts to represent someone that they're not, is often very much somebody already in that social circle. So if you can imagine 10 friends and there's one with some insecurity and they develop this alternative online personality to engage people they know in a different way. Um, there was a great show called Catfish, funnily enough, that was on MTV for, it may still be going, and oftentimes, nine out of 10 times, the person catfishing with someone that the individual knew it was a friend or a right. relative yeah and the reality of that is this is this vicarious experience of others so let's just say that you know you fall madly for your girlfriend's sister right Rather than shut that down because there's nothing you can do about that in the real world, the online concept of a second personality sliding into the DMs and and living vicariously through an online avatar allows people to do things that they wouldn't do um, in social context. They couldn't do in social context, but it also speaks to malevolent intent. It's pretending to be something that you're not. And it moves beyond just that normal curating that I believe a lot of us do that you've talked about into a kind of a sinister manipulation of others. Mm-hmm. And, and back in the day, we've got this great concept of catfishing. I don't know where the word comes from. I think the issue that we're talking about is, is the art of the con or real manipulation. And I don't think you can ever position yourself as being um, justified in, in that sort of deception or lie. So for me, once we get into that, you know, malicious intent, we've got to treat these people as kind of weaponizing the internet for their own advantage. Mm-hmm. That is certainly a tool that other sorts of predators on the internet use as well.
1: Mm. I liked what you were saying about the idea that, like, people who might be doing this kind of thing may have their own, you know, demons that lead themselves towards this to some degree. And I also like the way you thought about this in the context of, people who are already on the internet and getting to know their friends in other contexts or whatever because what I know does happen on the internet is people who are insecure in their friendship groups or whatever will go out and make other avatars to you know like sleuth around and try and find yeah. out it, you know they're, they're convinced that their friends are talking behind their back and so they're out there trying to find out if they're actually you know gossiping about them or whatever and I do think the internet is kind of quite the insidious place for that kind of thing because you could never do that in real life you know you'd have to rope someone else in and get their to pretend to be your little informant on the inside or whatever. It just doesn't really work that way in real life. But the internet gives this capacity to actually do it all yourself. And I think that, you know, if you give people the tools to live out that kind of their their darkest fears, their darkest, you know, even their darkest desires, but I I think it is often motivated by fear, the sense of what is somebody else doing? And if you give people the tools to kind of lean into those fears and action those fears, they'll often take those tools, I think. And the internet does that, where in the past we haven't had the tools I think to accept and give in to those more like negative feelings about ourselves and about the peer groups that we spend time in for sure.
0: That's absolutely fascinating. The take out from that for me is this idea of the way some people weaponize the internet is a high return, low investment in, Mm. you know, uh, self-exploration. It's the fact that you can indulge your fears in a way that gives you some sense of relief, but at the same time protects you. I hadn't thought of it like that, but it makes perfect sense. Mm. I think what happens to some of those people is they then flip the script and go from being... paranoid victim to becoming a perpetrator because that's
1: the next step in empowering themselves Mm, mm, that's an interesting idea yeah it is about power in some way sometimes you know maybe there's a lot of money behind it economics or whatever but i suspect for people who are doing it maybe a bit more maliciously even perhaps just like you know trying to make themselves feel better there must be a power to being someone catfishing someone else that's really interesting
0: i've never met somebody in outside of the therapeutic context that's been catfished, but I did work with somebody therapeutically that was catfishing. Right. And it was a sense of power where they were otherwise powerless, entertainment when they were otherwise bored. And as I said, this concept of creating a veneer of something that just didn't exist in the real world. Mm-hmm. The internet allows you, we've seen lots of influencers clip for taking photos on holidays that are behind sets or backdrops or filters and those sorts of things it's that idealized version of self if if somebody came to you and said i think i was being catfished what would you say to them what advice would you give them that's, say it was one of your peers mm,
1: that's really interesting for it i think you know you can't be completely dismissive of these online relationships or whatever i think that that's totally a mistake but uh i, I feel like there would have to be a few ways that you could try and be a bit more confident about these things. For one thing, there's got to be a pattern of behavior, right? Like maybe if there's an unwillingness to have regular uh, face-to-face video calls or something, I imagine that'd be something that'd be a bit harder to do catfishing through a video call so maybe you want to you want to try and push that a few times and see if they continue to not want to do that or something like that you know are they continuing to ask you for money without reciprocating are they continuing to put you down to give themselves this position of power in that relationship without allowing you to uh express yourself you know some kind of classic um manipulation and and unhealthy relationship stuff going on there i feel like there's got to be some some central ideas as well about you know can we meet in person um can we can actions what are your long-term plans all that kind of thing um and trying to trying to put together a list i expect that there's not really like a silver bullet for this kind of thing if you are being catfished but i think it's important as you you kind of talk about that that bias and uh i think that that uh if you can try and recognize that you might be in danger of that um and and just seeing the things you want to see and then maybe try to take a step back and look for other patterns that might be a bit more um condemning of the person that you're talking to is probably an important place to start I think
0: that's really sound advice. I think the only thing I'd add to that is that I've never seen somebody who's reported being, you know, exploited by a catfish that didn't say, if I look back now I knew. Right, yeah. I've never heard somebody say, I'm totally baffled. There was no sign that this was going south. It totally caught me by surprise. They're normally saying it was after the third bank transfer that Mm -hmm. I thought it was a bit strange. Mm -hmm. And so I'd I'd ask people to lean into their skepticism, lean into that gut feeling. And one of the points you made is get pushed to come to shove, you know, do a video call. Um, But I also think if you're in in an environment virtually where somebody is meeting your needs, then that gives you an indication of what you can use to go out into the real world and get those same needs met.
1: Right, okay. Yeah.
0: So if you've got somebody, you know, a handsome prince from the subcontinent that's telling you how much they love you and they adore you and they wanna be there, then there's something that you're getting from that that you could be replicating locally. And the reality is we're probably not gonna have an environment where you get the one in 100,000 that's being legitimate. It's Mm. great to hope. There's a lot of romance in it. And I understand for some people it's kind of fun. You know, it's nice to be wanted and adored, but the second that the relationship requires you to compromise yourself in any way, whether that be money, whether that be illicit images, Mm. throw up the stop sign and say, hey, you know what? There's another way to get my needs met that is lower risk and higher return. And that's to get out, get out from behind this computer and go and find what makes me feel this way in the real world Mm -hmm. because it's not real. Mm -hmm. It's likely a fiction. It's likely a fantasy. Come to life specifically to manipulate you. And the guys and girls that do this well know how they are master manipulators. Mm -hmm. So I'd say disengage. Mm -hmm. Step away. And I know it hurts. It probably feels like giving up cigarettes to some people. But if that bias that you have, if your gut feel says this isn't 100% kosher, move away from it. Mm -hmm. Leave it alone for now. And you know what? If somebody cares about you and they're real, they'll find a way to get on a plane and come and say hi to you without your money Mm -hmm. being their vehicle
1: to do it. I like that idea of the connection to the real world because you know I'm a big proponent of online relationships and online friendships and all that kind of thing and I think that totally can work but I think there's there's got to be that sense of authenticity and that sense of reality in an online relationship and if that's the kind of thing that your partner's trying to avoid creating they're trying to avoid creating a sense of reality or a sense of authenticity in that relationship online I think that's definitely a warning sign for sure
0: that is really well said, and a really good point to finish on that. I think mm. that's a really tight soundbite that sums up exactly what we're talking about. Thank you again. No, what another, very much for another great fantastic podcast that we've put in the tin, mm. guys. We'll see you next week. There's some really interesting topics and guests coming up for us this year on season two of If I Only Knew. So stay tuned. Tell your friends, like and subscribe. Listen wherever you find your podcast, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah, great stuff coming. See you guys. Thank you for listening. This
0: podcast is a better pod group production with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Lanch, the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is the podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes and the opinions Voiced by podcast hosts of theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and/or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bad Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.